All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Go With The Flow, recording here on Saturday, April 2nd, 2022. I usually forget to say when the date is, when I say it way, way too late in the episode. But two very special guests in the building with me. I have Pat Glory and Quincy Monday, wrestling superstars. You guys, you guys are superstars. I don't know if you know that, but you guys, you guys have been doing exactly what you needed to do. Saw y'all wrestling on ESPN the other day, and I was like, I, I need them on the podcast. need them on Go With The Flow. But the way that I start every single episode... I ask my guests to introduce themselves, tell me where they're from, stuff they do on campus, and then just any other general intro they would want the people to know. Mm-hmm. So just take it away, guys. Word. I'm Quincy Monday, um, a junior on the wrestling team. I also am a the vice president of the Black Student Athlete Collective, um, and I do some stuff with health professionals advising, uh, jock docs. Um, are, so. you, are you pre-med? Yeah. Oh, snap. <laughs> Love to see it. Yep, yep, yep. So. <laughs> Yeah, I'm Pat Glory. I'm uh, also a junior. Uh, Quincy's my roommate, uh, and I am a econ major, finance certificate um, from Randolph, New Jersey, about an hour north of here. Um, yeah, honestly, I'd like to say I'm involved on more on you know more on campus things, but honestly, <laughs> school I, and wrestling takes up so much time. I was about to say I get it, you guys, <laughs> well, we, and I've spoken about it many times on this podcast. Varsity athletes, your schedules are so insane that even if you said just wrestling and nothing else, we get it. <laughs> you don't need to be in in 16 different clubs like I'm in and, and everyone else is. But okay, you guys are both multiple time All Americans. You just wrapped up your season a few weeks ago, NCAA championships, and so just first question right off the bat is. After a long, grueling season, how long do you typically give, give yourselves before you're back to the training? Or is it season ends one day, the very next day you're back in the gym? Yeah, uh, so our coaches um, kind of, I mean, they've been here for, you know, over a decade now. And throughout the years, they've kind of tweaked and played around with their training plans and everything. Uh, they've done this so long now that I feel like they know kind of how much time we need and um like kind of when when it's time to get back on the mat after the season, so this is like our second end of our second week from NCAA's. We got back two Sundays ago. This will be the second Sunday upcoming. Uh, they usually say two weeks, so this coming week will probably be our first week back to wrestling, uh, back lifting and stuff like that. Um, the t the rest of the guys that didn't go to NCAA's started up uh, last week, I think maybe two weeks ago. Just doing the off season, we, we you know in season we lift twice a week. Off season we lift three times a week. In season we're wrestling th- you know four to five times a week. Off season it's like three or four maybe. Um, so the training schedule changes a little bit, but like uh, just kind of like the f- actual training cycle kind of starts at, uh, like that. Yeah, I'd say um, so. The training we do in the summer is geared towards um, freestyle, and it's not through the school. It's a ton of different type style of wrestling that we do in college. Um, it's like the international style, what they do in like the world championships and in the Olympics. Um, and so our training's geared toward um, that and like kind of these off-season tournaments. And so I'd say it's not as much of a grind because we're not competing as much. Um, like we're out of season. And so, but we're still working out. We're still um, kind of staying in shape and just like focusing on technique. But um, yeah, it's definitely, it was a long season. It was pretty tough. Um, um, but we they have a, they have a good training plan for us. I think they kind of tweak it every year, and so um, I kind of at the end of the year, I think I ended up coming out of it not too bad. I'm feeling feeling pretty healthy, thankfully. So um, yeah, we'll have this next week. Probably be back on the match next week. In those last two weeks, you've been you have you been eating all the junk oh, food, getting, getting all that yeah. in your system everything, right now. <laughs> everything that I wanted to have when I was cutting weight, I'm eating it now. And so yeah, we're living it up right now. Yeah, it, it gets really bad because I like look at myself in the mirror and I'm like 
wow, it's like a complete <laughs> different person. Yeah. Season, yeah. yeah. But, uh, it's, it's awesome. Like, I mean, me and Quincy literally were counting down the wanes that we had left like, yeah. in the beginning of the season. Like, right, 12, 12 wanes left. Like, we're almost there. So I uh, definitely look forward to, you know, getting to eat and be, you know, chubby. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. You see us walking around campus and our face is a little fat. We got maybe two extra plates of food. And so taking it all the way back for the both of you, how did you both get into wrestling? Because I don't know where on the list of popular sports it is in the country, but I don't think it's the most popular mm-hmm. sport. It's more of a niche sport, I would yeah, say. Definitely. So how did each of you get into wrestling? Yeah, so um, I got into wrestling when I was about five or six. I was always connected to it, though, because my dad um, was a big res- big time wrestler. He um, wrestled at Oklahoma State in college, and then he went on to win an Olympic gold medal and a silver medal um, in 1988 and 1992. And so he was, of course, um, a big wrestler. And um, my family, I have an older brother. He was into it as well. Um, my dad ran a, a youth club. And so um, my brother started a couple years before me. Um, when he was of age, and I was always just going with them to practices, and so I couldn't wait to get on the mats myself. But, um, yeah, so I've, I've always kind of been around it. Yeah, um, my dad, like, he's one of four uh, brothers, so there's, like, four four boys in his family, so it's always they've always been scrappers. Um, so he wrestled in high school. wasn't, like, super successful, but just, like, he knew that, you know, it was something that helped him, you know, physically, mentally, you know, schedule-wise and everything, so got me into it at a young age. I was kind of always, like, the smallest guy for my weight and, like, percentile and all that stuff. Um, so it was hard to play, like, a lot of these, you know, big-time team sports like football or uh, basketball, you know, lacrosse, whatever it may be. I was afraid of getting hit by baseball, <laughs> so I couldn't play baseball. Uh, wrestling was, like, the only thing that I could actually, like, give myself a competitive, you know, advantage or, you know, at least be on a level playing field. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I just kind of, like, liked it that because of that naturally. And then... Right around when I was, like, seven or eight, started, like, going to clubs and doing the kind of, like, national scene stuff. And then it just kind of took off from there. Gotcha. And, Quincy, you mentioned that your dad is a two-time Olympian, won a mm-hmm. gold medal, and gold and silver, you said? Yeah. Gold mm-hmm. and silver. And did you feel any pressure growing up because of who your dad was? Um, who your dad is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd say there's pressure, but I think how you kind of, like, view that pressure and your perspective on it can um, kind of change a lot and, like, how you kind of react to that. And so... Um, I kind of acknowledge the pressure, like just like something I could strive for. Like he, um, he reached the highest of the highs in the sport, and um, kind of reached the pinnacle in the sport. And so uh, I didn't see it as like, oh, if I don't reach those, then it's a failure. Like I'm a disappointment. But I've been thinking of it as like he's provided me the opportunity to like learn from him and like be connected to a lot of like of the top wrestlers in the sport and like have all these opportunities. And so um, just doing as much of I as I can with it um, in my own way kind of um, taking, taking my own path and making my own footsteps with it. Yeah, and this is a, a question for the both of you. Quincy, I know that um, you mentioned that your dad was coaching at UNC mm-hmm. when you were uh, recruiting and making your commitment, and yeah. your dad wrestled, or your brother, was uh, he wrestled at UNC. How did you both decide where you wanted to go, and ultimately why did you both choose Princeton? Yeah, um, so, yeah, my, um, my brother was at UNC. He wrestled at UNC, and my dad actually took a job out to UNC at the same time my brother decided to go to school there, so we all moved out there. Um, I was in North Carolina for my last two years in high school. Um, I was in Texas before that. But, yeah, so we moved to North Carolina, and I was around the program a lot, like, around all the coaches. We actually, like, knew the coaches at UNC, like, most of the coaching staff already from um, when we lived in Oklahoma and, like, the Oklahoma State connections with my dad. And so um, it was, like, we were real close to all of them, and I I figured I would be going to UNC. But um, Princeton reached out to me, I, th- I think, towards the end of my junior year. Um, and I had always, I had always like kind of been inclined toward academics, um, and kind of 
held that in high regard. And so I thought it was, I thought it was interesting and I was, I was intrigued. And so I, um, I came and took a visit and I liked the coaching staff a lot. The team was cool. Um, and so I just kept an open mind about it. And as I got closer and closer towards the deadline, I actually, it's funny, they gave me, the Princeton coaches gave me like 48 hours to decide <laughs> because I was taking so long with my decision. But, um, at the end of the day, I kind of wanted to kind of carve my own path a little bit. And, um, I didn't want to look back in 10 years and be like, damn, I should have like t- challenged myself and like gone to, gone to Princeton and like seen what I could do with it. And so I'm glad I made the choice I did. Gotcha. Yeah. For me, um, I kind of started the recruiting process early. My mom is like kind of crazy about, you know, <laughs> making sure that we made the right decision. So she started taking me like on unofficial visits, like everywhere that I would even consider going, like before the coaches even reached out to me. Um, I had a direct connection to Princeton just because um, so many of the guys from my high school uh, came and like were committed and wrestled here and stuff. So I would come down for matches, uh, come down to like wrestling camps and stuff here. I mean, it's only an hour away, so it's like, you know, and their program was on the, you know, on, on the come up, you know, during my recruiting years. So, um, you know, just as the process went on, like I was looking for the school with the best academics and the best wrestling and uh, the coaching staff was awesome. The little guy coach, uh, Coach Dubuque, mm-hmm. he's also from my area in New Jersey. So like just really similar, like similar personalities and like he was a two time national champ. So it's like it was pretty easy in that sense. And then the other, you know, two kind of uh, associate slash head coaches are also New Jersey guys. So it's basically like a home away from home yeah. for me. Uh, and it was like like far enough away that it didn't feel like I was like in my backyard, but still close enough that it's like I can go home on the weekend if I want to or like go see my little brother or sister play high school, you know, sports. Um, and yeah, I just love the team culture. Yeah, it was just awesome. Yeah, and for me, it's uh, I actually do quite literally go to school in my backyard because I'm also from Jersey, but I live 10 minutes away from here. Oh, 10 so minutes, wow. 10 minutes away. It is it is that close. And what, there's... What, where, where, like, where are you from? What town? West Windsor. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you're literally right here. Exactly. Yeah, literally, it's literally the neighboring the town, town from over, Princeton. Yeah. Exactly. So, Were you yeah. looking at other, other places or did you kind of always know you wanted to go to Princeton? I actually, so close? I actually never wanted to go to Princeton. Really? So when we first moved from... We moved from Nigeria when I was nine years old and we lived in North Carolina for two years. My mom went to Duke Law School. Oh, so wow. Duke was the first university that I knew in the country and okay. it was always my dream school yeah and i don't think i appreciated princeton enough because it was right in my backyard mm-hmm. for me it was like harvard's a good school mit stanford but princeton i was like it's literally my backyard yeah, i go to nassau street i've yeah. been going to nassau street since i was in in middle school yeah. so i did not appreciate it and then it wasn't until college application started and my parents were like you're applying to princeton it's the best school in the country it's in your backyard and so th- things worked out a little bit yeah. <laughs> yeah you said you moved from nigeria and i yeah how was that it was that oh, See, this is what I like when I people ask because I've never actually spoken about this on this podcast. But that was a, it was quite an experience, yeah. and actually, this is what I wrote my um, college uh, my Common App essay about, and the just the transition of being in a place where everyone else looks like you mm-hmm. to so being the majority to so then coming to America and being the minority. It was definitely a a stark contrast, mm-hmm. and one that I think because I was so young when I moved, I was able to be more naive to maybe some of the things that maybe I shouldn't have taken as slightly as I did. Mm-hmm. And then as I just became more and more mature, so I would like reflect on my time when I first moved and been like, some of the stuff the kids didn't say that wasn't all right, yeah. this wasn't that. But because I was so young and just naive and so just open to everything else, I was like, okay, excited to be here. I We we moved where my cousins were living. So I was like, okay, it's cool. Like really close to my cousins yeah. now. And then, yeah, I think we were able to adjust pretty, pretty fast. Cause I have two older brothers. One moved when he was a freshman in high school. So, mm. 
a um, little bit of a tougher transition yeah, for him because that was much later. I was in fourth grade, and then my middle brother, he moved when he was seventh grade. So, again, so much mm. easier. So, if, for each and every single one of us, the transition was just that that much different. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Y'all have probably, like, different, like, perspectives on how that went based on, like, how young y'all were when you came in. Exactly, and I was just in Nigeria last weekend for really? my dad's birthday. Oh, nice. And it's so interesting how every time that we all go back, it's just that exactly what you're saying, the reflecting on both our time there and then our time since we've moved here mm-hmm. and how different it had been for for every single one of us. So yeah, interesting stuff. And this is why I like it when people ask me questions too. And all the hours and hours I've done, never actually spoken about that. So thank you. Thank you. I have a follow-up question. So has Nigeria changed? Like since you since you lived there, like as you said, you said you just went back this past weekend. Like, have you? Is there anything like made like major noticeable changes between? I wouldn't how it was when you lived there and now. I wouldn't say anything noticeably different. I think what changes is my growth and my maturity, and so I'm just able to notice more and more every time I go back. So, because I think at, at a certain level, things don't haven't really changed that much. But it was so. First, we moved when I was nine years old. The last time I went back before this current trip was summer of 2017, so Mm -hmm. summer for a senior of high school. And I think that was when I was like, I want to say I was like more mature. Mm -hmm. So then I was able to be like more appreciative of certain things like I have here that I didn't have there. And then even there were pretty well off. So just stuff that I had there that not everyone else had. Mm -hmm. And then even just going back this past week again, it's like, okay, you... I, you, you you get more thankful for where you come from, Definitely. having a certain culture, all these different types of things. So I wouldn't say it's the country changing as much as my perspective mm. is changing. As, and as I'm growing, I'm starting to notice more and appreciate different things. Mm. Yeah. Um, so you, both of you mentioned that one of the reasons that you wanted to come to Princeton was the whole team aspect. And wrestling is one of those sports kind of like track where I'm always interested in the fact that it's a team sport, but you all compete individually. So how exactly does being a part of a team motivate you both individually and just bring you both to that next level when you are on the mat competing? Yeah, um, team, I think, is kind of underrated, like the team aspect of wrestling, because, of course, like when you see matches, it's one one guy versus one guy. Yeah. But um, just into the training that, that takes place, um, being like in a practice room with like a group of guys and like going through hard, these hard practices, and, like cutting weight together, um, you just you're just kind of like in the trenches with your brothers almost, and so um, team team the team aspect is really important. And um, we had a couple guys who um, kind of played a big part in like kind of changing the vision and the trajectory trajectory of this program. Um, and so those guys were like some good leaders for us to like come into and like kind of learn from. Um, and it's it's crazy to me now that we come back and like we're finally back um, after after COVID and like our gap years because we went from being like the younger guys on the team yep. to kind of stepping into this leadership role and like being away from the whole team for a while. And so I think we're still kind of trying to learn how to do that. And um, I think I'm kind of getting to the point like we're now we're about to be seniors next year. And like I think as captains, we kind of like I, I'm, I'm kind of like realizing more that we, we're kind of shaping like the next generation of like Princeton wrestlers and like what that team and what the trajectory looks like and so um just being able to being in a position to do that and kind of like shape kind of like the future of Princeton wrestling I think it's really important to us and we really want to like push the culture in a, in a good direction that's um getting better every year yeah and it's 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 cool that you guys are both aware of the type of impact that you're able to have because kind of like you said you came in there were probably guys on the team that you looked up to that were the reason that you committed here and now you're realizing that okay recruits come they're looking at me mm-hmm. they are someone or I'm some we are people that 
whatever we do is going to exactly is, is going to determine how exactly this, this program goes forward. So it's mm-hmm. good that you're able to have that type of foresight. Because I know some people might think just like, oh, me, 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 like, I want to do what I need to do to get out of here and just be yeah. the best that I can. But you guys it's like, so hard because it is so hard to do that, even just like when you are just looking at yourself and trying to do that in yeah. a place like this in Princeton. Um, and so, yeah, I think I think we're it's a position of like privilege that we have that opportunity to do that. But it's also pretty important. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the main emphasis, you know, points of emphasis for us was making sure that like everybody on the team uh, is kind of like heard and like accounted for. Because I think a lot of the times, right, we have these 10 starters and the coaches give them priority because like, again, they're the guys that are going to be out there competing. See, I didn't even know there were starters. I thought everyone wrestled all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, just just kind of like uh, you know breakdown. So there's there's ten weight classes, mm-hmm. and only one guy on the team can wrestle like per dual meet at that weight, or even like a tournament. Yeah. Right. So um, there's kind of a fight, if, you know, between some of the guys on the team for these these spots, these weight classes, right? Because um, you know, some of them are kind of just taken up by guys like Quincy and other guys that are just kind of like the the starter. Yeah. Um, and then there's kind of these toss up weights that like you know maybe three three guys are competing against each other for, and then so the one guy gets the spot, right? And then these other two guys that are right on the cusp of getting that spot are kind of like, you know, we we, we want to make sure that those guys are still accounted for because yeah. you never know what's going to happen to that the kid that did win the spot. Maybe he gets hurt, right? And then if that kid wasn't staying ready because he th- he thought he wasn't the starter. Then he can't then, step up. Then, yeah. we're, then we're not ready and we're not going to be able to put somebody that we can actually have compete, yeah. you know, well for us out there. So I think it's, as opposed to just worrying about the 10 starters, we've been trying to f- just get everybody on the same page and do, like, all the right things. Um, and that, it, this year was awesome because, like, there was non-starters coming in and working out with me in the room before away, and even though they, they had nothing, no mm-hmm. reason to be there yeah. besides just trying to help me get down the weight, or, you know, some guys, like, our 133-pounder changed, like, twice throughout the year. And, like, both times the kids, were, were you know, had big-time wins and wrestled really well. It's just kind of a testament to, like, the entire team taking the training cycle seriously. Yeah. And um, I think that's how you create a culture mm-hmm. of, like, real dominance, you know, just like having five six guys per weight class that are going to be able to compete at that same level for you. Yeah, because you have um – like you have these, like we have like thirty guys on the team, and like like we said, we only have ten starters, and so um, it's uh, it's definitely hard to I'd, I'd say um, keep being a team player if you're not one of those guys. Like we had um, three guys, we went through like three guys at one sixty five yeah. at one weight. Like we just had such a deep deep weight at one sixty five in our room, and um, so but yeah, the team the team is important. I think when you have guys that like who maybe aren't starting. Um, but they're still bought and then coming to every practice and like have that energy because we make each other better at the end of the day. Like yeah. we go, we wrestle against each other. Like um, that's that's how we train. We compete against each other in the room every day. And so when you have a lot of guys who are bought into that and um, are working and you're actively making each other better, like iron sharp iron, iron sharpens iron. Is, it's for real. And so um, yeah, that just kind of like builds up the team culture. And so that's what we're trying to do. Yeah, for sure. And I think that was a perfect segue into our the Wrestling 101 section when you broke down like the stars and all that. But before we get into that, you mentioned how the team chemistry, team camaraderie is something that's very important for you guys. How did COVID affect that at all? And how were you able to sort of get things back to where it needed to be after you t- you came back? Because <clears throat> we realized the Ivy League had a season off. And But you guys, um, how are you able to come back after that year gap? Yeah, I, it was it was really hard. Like really, really hard. Uh, it's it's funny. Like 
Uh, I know we'll talk about like the NCAA tournament yeah. and stuff, but like uh, one of the things for me that the first thing I thought about was was like how much we had to go through to get back to here right now. It makes me super emotional because I mean, really, no one talks about like everybody, all Ivy League athletes, and like like basically putting their lives on hold for a whole year and told to wait while everyone else was able to compete. It was it was really really difficult. But so last year, you know. It's getting towards the end of the summer, and like there was kind of no uh, announcement from the Ivy League about like whether sports were happening or not. So like we're like, do we go back to school? Do we not? Like, you know, we were kind of going through the process, you know, about going back to school, just kind of so that if things did go back to normal, we'd be able to compete. And then finally, at like like a week before school was about to start, they they finally announced it. Yeah. So we all were like, okay, well, we got to take gap years. So automatically, you know, tried to apply because it's not like set in stone. You know, a lot of guys didn't get the opportunity to take gap years, um, and luckily, like all the basically all the kids that wanted to take gap years, basically all the starters were able to. Um, so it was good because like all of us were living off. Like we just tried to find an off-campus spot. It was like seven of us living in like a three-bedroom apartment. Literally, like we had two kids like paying rent to live on the couch. Yeah, like it was insane. But like that was the only way we could do it. That was the only way we like people could afford to you know stay in the central area where we could train together. We were lifted out of a retro fitness like it was insane. Like this is like a whole Division One wrestling program. Yeah. It's like going to like you know Planet Fitness to go lift. Like it was just like so bizarre. But um, just finding ways to get the work done, uh, I think, was really hard. But we we figured it out. We kind of got into this off-season schedule. We were training for freestyle because obviously there was no NCAA season, so. We only competed twice, yeah. really. Um, a bunch of guys weren't living like Quincy for the most part was living down in North Carolina just because he had such a great you know training situation with mm-hmm. his brother and his dad and all these RTC guys down there. Um, so you know it was weird. We didn't have the whole team. We had some guys on the team, um, but we I don't know. We still figured out a way to, to train, which is good. Yeah, yeah, and just like coming back into it, like after the gap and everything, like we have these freshmen and sophomores, like kids who like would be sophomores now but they also took gap years so they're really like new to the school too and like like me being in North Carolina even if they were up in Jersey like with the, with the rest of the team I didn't really see these kids a lot and yeah. so I didn't really get to know the team and I think that's that's that kind of is really hard because like usually how it goes is like we'll, we'll get it we'll get on campus like start of the year and like we'll be able to kind of like hang out and like build that that bond a little bit before we go into practice and like go into the trenches with each with each other and so um I think we kind of missed out on that part, just, like, the kind of bonding and, like, spending time together and, like, just eating together and, like, going out for a meal and shit like that. Um, and so I feel like we're just now, like, coming out of season, and now we actually have time to do that, and so I'm really excited about that part. Um, we're just getting kind of to know the rest of the team a little better um, outside of just the wrestling room. Yeah, and I would say from, from anyone from the outside looking in, it seems like you guys didn't miss a beat, and I don't think people appreciate exactly what you just mentioned, the sacrifices that everyone had to make to make sure that when you came back, you would be competing at the necessary level. But again, y'all did exactly what was necessary to do, which I think is, is great to see, and I think everyone, everyone appreciates. Um, okay, and now, this is the segment where I'm going to ask really stupid questions <laughs> for you both very, very highly skilled, experienced wrestlers, but again... I don't have much experience with the wrestling. A lot so. of people don't. Yeah. <laughs> I, I bet you this is not the stupidest. These questions you're about to ask are not the stupidest wrestling questions we've ever gotten. Okay, fantastic. I watched. I watched a lot of wrestling to prep for this yeah, interview. Did you research? I, I had to do my research. Okay, first question: 
what exactly is ride time? Because I see the little clock on the side and I see it going up and I'm like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> what is that? A lot of people don't. <laughs> so it's only in college wrestling. Okay. It's literally not in any other form of wrestling besides the NCAA. And the idea is um, if you can control a guy from the top. So there's three positions in wrestling. There's neutral, which is where you start, right? You shake hands, yeah. whistle blows. You start on, you know, your feet. If a guy gets on top, right? So say I took a guy down and now I'm in the top position. That's the second position is top. Mm -hmm. Third position would be bottom. Okay. So if I'm on top, riding time starts. And so the longer I control a guy, the higher the riding time goes. Mm -hmm. If you have over a minute of riding time, by the end of the match, you get a point. Uh, but so like okay. it, it's, it goes, so say I rode a guy off for a minute and then, uh, you know, second period comes, I choose down. Yeah. The riding time starts going down because the other guy's on top of me. So like it'll so it's uh, just one clock. It's one. not like each guy has their own time. Okay. Like if he has like a minute and five seconds of riding time, and then I get on top, it'll start clicking down. down for okay. His. Okay. And once it gets to zero, then it'll start clicking up for me. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And it, it, it only factors in at the end of the match. So mm -hmm. like that point will only be allocated, even if I have like five minutes of riding time where it's, it's locked in. Here. Yeah. That won't come until the end of the match. Mm -hmm. Okay. Gotcha. It's where you have to like factor that in, right? Like if I'm on, if I am on my feet. And the score is tied, but he has over a minute of riding time. Technically, I'm I'm down by a point. Yeah. So you have to kind. Of, it's it's some of the matches get kind of crazy and wild like that. And positions are the next thing that I wanted to ask you about. So you mentioned neutral, top, and bottom. Yeah. How are the starting positions determined in each round? So every match starts in neutral. Um, okay. You start on your feet. Um, you shake hands, like Pat said, and then you start wrestling. Um, and then at the start of each, so there's three periods. Um, the first period is three minutes. The second and third period are two minutes each. Um, at the start of the second and third period, um, you'll flip a coin or like however the duel decides to do it. Um, one person is going to have choice. And so they can choose to go top, bottom or neutral. Um, and it's common to like go down because like a lot of people like are able to get out. Um, and so that's kind of like a, a point you're going to you're going to you're going to want to have. And so um, you can choose positions like that. And so you also have choice and the, the other guy will get choice in the third period. OK. And is one, and you might have answered this, but is any certain position an inherent advantage, or is it the type of thing where each wrestler has their own preferred um, starting position? Yeah, so everyone's different. Like, yeah, I was going to say, like, if you're wrestling someone you know is good on top, you might want to choose neutral yeah. in the second period because you don't want to give up riding time or even back points. Mm -hmm. You can give up, so in, in high school and, like, youth wrestling, the most amount of back points you can get, back points, like, you hold the guy on his back, um, is three, but in college it's four. four. I f did that happen in... One Recent of your years. Did that happen in one of your that matches? That was in my semifinal. Your, okay, I okay. Set up four okay. Points, yeah, but it was weird, um, like the whole situation. But um, so that's huge, right? If you don't want to, because four points is really hard to come back. From. Yeah, it's almost impossible. So if you know, you know, obviously a guy's good on top, or if you know, you know, maybe a guy is better on their feet, you know, probably go down. But for the most part, you choose down because the idea is like it's the easiest like point to score, okay. which is to get to your feet. That's an, is, that an, is that an escape? Yes, exactly. Look That's at me go. Okay, yes, quick, quick learner. Let's yeah, go. Don't shoot down on Pat Glory, though. You will not get out. You will not get out. Um, okay, and next question. What is a danger point? The danger, it's, danger it's, rules? It's hard to explain. So, so basically, um, on your feet, right? No one's in control. So if I'm on top, I'm in control. That's like, you know, they'll say the ref, you'll, you'll hear the ref say, like, green's on top, green's mm -hmm. dominant, green's in control. Um because when you're neutral, no one has control. Um, no one's on top or bottom yet. Um, in order for them to allocate who is in control, they'll have uh, 
this they have this rule where like if Quincy takes a shot on me and I like roll across my back and I'm kind of just sitting there like my back is exposed to the map but like no like we're still neutral no one's in control in order to establish who has control they'll start swiping okay and so they go one two, like danger one danger two danger three and they'll give two points um, so like if you're on your back for three seconds like on your feet you want to get you want to try to roll or mm-hmm. get off your back and reposition yourself to okay. get unexposed but that's hard in and of itself because you might by trying to reposition yourself you might give up a takedown in and of itself but that, that they kind of want to avoid just like stalemates happening or like uh, positions where nobody scores uh, because in the past there was like kids that had just really weird flexible hips mm-hmm. they would just like lay on their back but not give up points yeah and then they like win one nothing and it's just like yeah. no one wants to see a person yeah. win that way um, but I don't know it's 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 hard because it's hard to call evenly. Like some wrestlers say danger one and then stop counting, even though the kid's still on his back. Yeah. Other other people will like count it really quickly. So it's like the consistency of it's hard. I think in in wrestling referees, it's it's just hard to have certain things called consistently. Yeah, they're kind of like baseball a little bit, where it's like their discretion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a lot of ways, so mm-hmm. you gotta have to be prepared for that. But I would say like that's a new rule. Yeah, and new rules are the hardest ones to kind of get right because. People are still trying to figure out like, yeah. how to call mm-hmm. it and stuff like that. So, and wrestling, I feel changing. like, yeah, the, in wrestling, the rules change like a lot. Like, there have been a lot of rules changes. Every year, there's like new rules that are coming. I in. feel like that's pretty r- rare, right? Yeah. I, don't, I don't know a lot of other sports. Yeah, like, yeah I don't like, think ba- basketball is, you yeah. know, double, double dribbles, <laughs> but a double dribble for 35 years. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's weird that it is that way. I guess they're always just kind of trying, trying to mm-hmm. evolve the sport and make it kind of more refine uh, it a little bit, refine it, make it more fun to watch, less kind of you know, no action matches and stuff like that. Gotcha. And you touched on the very last one that I want to ask about, and that is a takedown. And what exactly constitutes a takedown? Because in my mind, I hear takedown, I'm like, you pick something up and you slam them. But I was watching some of the matches, and then you'd, like, be on the ground, and then all of a sudden they say, like, takedown. I'm like, where where was the takedown? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'd say um, it's kind of hard to do it without, like, illustrating it and, like, showing it, but... Um, I would say, like, the easiest way to explain it is just control of the hips. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, if I, like, get control the guy's two feet or his hips then i have i have a takedown okay mm-hmm. like uh if a guy's on his butt and i like don't have like my hands like still below his hips they probably won't give two unless you have control of both of his ankles but the second i get above his hip and start climbing up they'll they'll uh, like allocate the two mm-hmm. um and then you obviously have dangers one way to get a takedown yeah. um I don't know. It's it's. There's a lot of positions you can kind of like get a takedown from too. I'd say like you can if I go for on the edge of the mat and I just have both his ankles and like he's like laying down flat, then like they'll give me two. But um, yeah, um, getting kind of like behind the shoulders and getting their hands on the mat too, and being behind them and controlling the hips also. Yeah. But there's this uh, position like it's where you start in top and bottom. Basically, anytime the uh, periods change or if you go out of bounds and come back to the center, it's mm-hmm. called referee's position. Um, so like anytime that like you go from your feet to getting in referee's position on top, you'll, you'll have, that's, that's like a takedown, I guess, in like the traditional sense of the word. But again, like you said, there's a lot of different ways, like you can get there and then like, say you get a takedown and like, it's in a position where like, not like you can't really move from there. They'll, they'll call a stalemate and then put you back in the referee's okay. position, which is like what happened in my semifinals a couple of times too. Gotcha. Um, so it's, it, there's a lot of different weird ways that you know you can get points but yeah i'd say the best way is kind of like just watching like watching wrestling it's kind of hard to 
just like listen to and be able to explore, yeah. like visualize it. So everyone go on YouTube right now, just watch, <laughs> yeah. watch, watch all watch the highlights. Yeah, uh, <laughs> do some research. And I'm glad that I asked those questions because I don't think anyone listening would also have understood those terms. But now mm -hmm. it makes it makes it that much easier. It's funny, Qu uh, Quincy and I are freshman year. Did like a little segment on the Princeton Wrestling Instagram page. Uh, it was like you know wrestling one on one, yeah. just like trying to teach people, and it's so funny. Like, I, it's hard. It's hard to like do it, but it was we tried, and it's. Um, but I think people, the more they watch it, I think start to pick it up. Yeah, yeah and just a quick shout out to the, your Instagram. Whoever runs the your the wrestling Instagram does such a good job. Because even as someone who hasn't understood the sport, all the videos are just always so engaging that I always just find myself watching more and more. So That's whoever awesome. is yeah. doing that, they're they're shout crushing it. David, David, David Alex, Phillips. yeah, plug <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> it real quick. Um, okay, and so. You both, obviously, wrestling at the national level. You were both national finalists. When in your careers did you both realize that you were at that point where, okay, it's, it's, in, the, it's in the cards that I might be able to be at the highest of high levels? Was there a certain point in your career where you realized, okay, I'm, I'm, pr I'm pretty good at this? <laughs> yeah, um, I feel like as for, people, for people like me and Pat being in wrestling so long, like we've been doing it since we were kids, um, you kind of really start to see it i'd say in high school you kind of can see like the future scene of like who will be in college um and so um i didn't like the school i went to we didn't do a lot of national tournaments in high school um but we hit a couple and so that's kind of like the first indicator and like off season there's like off season national tournaments you can go to but i started um kind of finding success at these national tournaments like my junior senior year of high school um and I always kind of like just like had belief like from my my, my dad of course like um, just being who he was and like reaching what he did um, just kind of like making that a standard and like a kind of like an expectation like it's like the work we do like I, I we know the trip preparation is good and so um, just kind of like preparing ourselves to get there because it, it's a long road like doing it as long as we did um, but yeah so I, I started seeing like hearing of Pat Glory and like in high school we weren't on the same team and like when I was in North Carolina like didn't even know who the kid was but it's it's kind of funny looking at like the national college scene now and like seeing the names like that you've known over the years like there's this one kid like real woods um i used to wrestle with them when we were when we were like six seven years old yeah and i literally wrestled real woods at tulsa my and i was in third grade that's yeah. insane so, you, you can see this like flashes of greatness in kids like growing up and stuff but um yeah and so i'd say like junior senior year i knew i was like okay i can compete with these kids and yeah. so yeah, I'd say it's the same for me. Um, uh, middle school, it was like, all right, get yourself as ready as you can for high school. And that's just going to, like, all these dual national tournaments. Uh, I'm sure Quincy, like, knows, like, Tulsa. Yeah. Like, all these, like, there's kind of these major youth tournaments that the overwhelming majority of youth wrestlers that want to be at the national level will go to. Um, so that you kind of test the waters there to say, okay, you know, here's where I am nationally. And didn't really have a lot of success in middle school. Um, some kids are, like... These crazy, yeah. like, you know, accoladed <laughs> middle school wrestlers and like, you know, the next, you know, protégés, next, you know, next Kenny Mondays, you know what I mean? Um, so I wasn't one of them, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I kind of was like always right there with those kids and like kind of gave me the confidence to be like, okay, let me just keep working and you know, success will come, success will come. So I got in a, I went to this private high school. So one of the main decisions for me was whether I wanted to go to public school, which my public school, was, it still was very good academically. The wrestling, there had been flashes of greatness in the wrestling program, but not, like, consistently. Yeah. Uh, and then there was this private school that was 15 minutes away from me. Um, the academics were insane. That was the school that sent, you know, multiple wrestlers to Ivy League schools every year. Yeah. Um, 
and they're producing state champs and, you know, state place winners, multiple of them every single year. Um, so it was just like, it was hard for me to not choose them. Yeah. So I did, and, and I'm glad I did because I really don't think I'd be here without it. But um, took second in the state my freshman year, um, which was like kind of demoralizing. I made, you know, beat the number one seed and then lost to a kid who I'd beat a bunch of times. Lost again in the state finals my sophomore year. Um, so it just, like, I had a lot of, like, mental stuff going on yeah. that just, like, confidence-wise was throwing me off, and I think it affected, especially the national level stuff, too. Um, and I think that summer going from my sophomore to my junior year, I started seeing, like, the sports psychologist and really working on, like, the things that I was thinking about before the match. Um, instead of, like, psyching myself about, you know, the, the outcomes and the kind of things that I can't control. Uh, and I think that completely changed my mentality on... You know, having the outlook of wrestling and, and just going into matches in general, not, you know, completely psyching myself out beforehand and giving myself the level playing field that, you know, kind of lets me lets me wrestle the best that I can. Yeah, and I think that transitions perfectly into the, the world championships that you went to in, in where was it, in Serbia? Serbia, gotcha. Bel Belgrade. Yeah, and so what was that experience generally like? How was that an opportunity that you were able to, to get into? And obviously, I asked when you knew that you were – that you were gonna be, that you were good at the sport. You said that you had these little hurdles. I would imagine that when you were wrestling at something like the World Championships, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm pretty good now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, it was um, one of the coolest experiences in my life. Um, it's funny, there's, so, there's folk style, which is like college wrestling. Mm -hmm. It's like youth wrestling, and it's only done in the United States. Folk style, it's called like, uh, what's the other name for it? Um, Scholastic. 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 It's like scholastic slash folk style. That's only in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Freestyle is international. Okay. So that's like what his dad did at the Olympics. Mm -hmm. um, that's what I did in Serbia. Um, so I never really did freestyle when I was younger. And like a lot of these kids do. They go to like the cadet world championships. They go to like the junior world championships. They kind of do it at a very young age and they know like what to expect. And I really wish I did that because I had no idea what to expect going out to the international tournament. It's a whole different, like, uh, you know, out, outlook and, like, the whole setup of the tournament's different. The weigh-ins are different. Um, the actual tournament is just, it's just a little bit different. And um, I don't know, it just kind of wasn't ready, wasn't as prepared, yeah. didn't really know what to expect. Um, no, it was still really cool. Like, I wrestled this kid from Iran who wound up taking bronze. But because he didn't make the finals, I couldn't wrestle after that mm -hmm. so like he lost in the semifinals so that meant that meant I, I was out but he could wrestle back in because the kid that he lost who made the fight it's just like very it's kind yeah. of a complex it's little, very complex yeah. the tournament's set up out there um but it's something that i'll remember for the rest of my life my family was out there they came and watched um you know belgrade uh it's Definitely not like any, you know, Western cities. Yeah. I, I've never been into a city that, that was kind of had that same aura to it. Yeah. Um, but it was still super, super cool. Um, seeing all these kids, like, coming from, you know, crazy, like, Asian countries, you know, like, uh, ex-Yugoslavic, uh, you know, countries that, like, basically, you know, this is these, these kids' livelihood. This is their future. This is yeah. where they get their families out of whatever situation that they're in and, you know, bring them to stardom in their countries. It's like you can see the the sheer like emotion and and you know passion and and really just fight in these in these people uh it's 
it's crazy to see. Yeah, and we could probably spend much more time on that, yeah. but I want Quincy to be included in all that. <laughs> I was like listening to it too. I was like, oh, damn. <laughs> and so, obviously, another very, very cool venue that you both wrestled at, which was the, the NCAA Championships, and this was in um, Little Caesars Arena, which I looked up the capacity, and I feel like it's something around 20,000 people. And I was watching, looking at the highlights, and I watched both your, your finals match live, and you're wrestling in front of 20,000 people. What is that experience like? It's it's funny you ask that because like for me personally, like once you get out on that mat, like I feel like you're so locked in. Um, and um, our coach, <laughs> he plays like this this crowd music in the background, like of our practices when we do like dr- like practice matches sometimes. And um, like whenever we do a match, he always plays this crowd music. It's just this constant cheering. And so um, we, I'd say he tra- he prepared us for like the loudness <laughs> of it uh, pretty well, but um, yeah, it was it was it was a really cool experience. Um, Little Caesars Arena was really um, really dope, and um, just like taking out like the parade of champions that we did before the matches uh, took place, and walking out and, like seeing the fans and like being like, all right, this is this is the moment like we've been training for. It was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah um, you know, like Quincy said, I think as wrestlers, we're so like trained to block out the like the outside noise like really the only people I can hear are the, are the coaches in the yeah. corner and, and like I can barely hear them <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah exactly um cause you're just so like your adrenaline's flowing like you're mentally just locked in and you're just worried about scoring points and doing the technical stuff that you need to do to win um but I would say the coolest thing was like afterwards you know what I mean like after the semifinals, like, you know, just seeing, like, everyone, like, you know, Princeton flags in the stands and, like, everyone's cheering and stuff. Um, super cool. I, it's it's hard to explain how, like, just how much, you know, passion and emotion and, and like, just sheer, like, drama is, is there. Um, I used to go when I was younger to, like, mm-hmm. the national tournaments and I always wanted to be there and just to be a part of it was awesome. Yeah, I can imagine. And that's that's one of the... For me, I'm... It's, this is one of those, like, very random things for me where it's, like, I appreciate and love, like, just a big crowd and I love videos of, like, athletes. There's these videos... This, the one specifically I have in mind of Joe Burrows, his senior night, yes. where he's... The camera's walking yeah, behind him and exactly. it just pans and shows the entire crowd and I'm, like, I can't even imagine what it's like performing in front of that sheer amount of people and the fact that you both got to experience that especially if it's something that you used to watch when you were a kid that must just be like chills yeah <laughs> i'd say the best part of it was like the raised like the raised stage for the finals matches because yeah. they always like they always raise the stage like over the course of the tournament it's like eight mats laid out because there's a bunch of matches going on as well just like on flag round but for the finals they like raise this they like raise the stage and so you're elevated and there's like they have like plants lining the side that look pretty cool and so like just running out and like seeing the crowd and like seeing that experience in the uh, that was probably the best part. Yeah. Yeah. And so fast forward and tournament starts and you both make the semifinals and um, you, you, as you were probably both aware, I didn't even know this. It's, uh, I think on the broadcast, they said that there hadn't ever been Princeton finalists. Is that correct? Two or, Princeton finalists. So okay. We, not f- we've okay. had like individual finalists okay, in the past, f- but not two of them in the same year. Okay. And so you were both, you both make the semifinals or yeah, you both make the semifinals and you know what's at stake. You know, if you win this match, you're going on to the finals. You are the three seed and you are the five seed. Mm-hmm. So what exactly is going through your mind as you're stepping onto the mat when you know what is at stake in this, this one specific match? Yeah. Um, for me, after after seeing Pat wrestle his semifinal match, because of course it goes by weight class yeah. order, and so um, he went first, and so I was watching his match, and he just his matches are crazy. Like th- he had a, a wild match with um, 
this kid who he traded matches with back and forth this year. And um, uh, it's just like a great ri- Ivy rivalry because the kid goes to Cornell. And so they had a great match and um, Pat won and just like put on a crazy performance. And I think it really helped motivate me a little more. And I was like, all right, let's go. It's my time now. And so the kid I wrestled in the semis, actually, I had wrestled twice before and I had beat him both times. And so I was like, all right, like this is this is destiny. Like we're going like we're doing this this year. Yep. And so um, I was ready to go. I was excited. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. You know, we're roommates. I, he literally lives in the room directly next to me um, in in our single in our triple room. And we've like talked about this for like we're doing this. Like, this is our year. Like, we literally have dreamed about this. Like, we, we talked about it all the time. We're like, dude, we're going to do this together. Like, this is us. Like, it's, you know, from the second we were freshmen, we, I mean, we kind of just knew that we were going to do something special. Um, and, yeah, I mean, so I, going into that match, I had lost a bad match to the kid that I wrestled in that semifinal, like, at the conference, in the conference finals. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it was a hard recovery. That was my first loss of the year, like, um, you know, just a lot of mental kind of gunk that was happening, and I was just, like, kind of, like, flustered in the weeks leading up to the, the NCAAs. So going into that match, I was like, all right, clean slate, let's just go wrestle. Um, and just, I don't know, crazy, you know, situations that happened in the match. And um, I don't know, I just remember that very, the last 10 seconds just being, like, so emotionally just like shocked you know what I mean like like everything like emotion just took over my whole body I started crying like on camera and stuff um but yeah I just knew that we were we were destined to do something special um and it was awesome I was like I was cutting weight because like that was the last match of the day Friday night and so I had to hop on the bike and like throw my sweats on and like keep the sweat going during Quincy's match but I had it on my phone but it was behind because the ESPN stream is like, I don't know, two, two minutes behind. Yeah. So, you know, I have the TV right next to me that has like the live updated scores and the time and everything. And it's 3 2 with like 30 <laughs> seconds. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like please. And I just hear the announcer after the buzzer hits. It goes, for the first time in like program history. And I'm just like, yeah. Let's go. Everyone, everyone that's like warming up for their matches is like looking at me, like dab me up. Like, so excited because like how can you not yeah. root for something like that how can you not want to be a fan of Princeton wrestling after that it was it was amazing yeah that is insanely special especially the fact that like you said you're both roommates something that you've since you came to the program felt like you would be able to do and the fact that you were both able to make the finals which is again in, insanely impressive and then the finals matches the mentality going in you know that it's win and you are national champion when you're walking, actually you're running up to the mat because you were just like sprinting your ass up there. Are you focused on the opponent, crowd, coaches? What exactly is going through your mind when you know that this is this is a match where you're you're going for all the marbles? Yeah, yeah. I'd say at that point, it's just kind of at that point, it's it's like you just got to wrestle. Like there's nothing else. You don't have to worry about making weight again. It's the last match. Um, you got nothing to lose. Um, it's the last match you're going to wrestle this season and it's for the title. And so I think you're just kind of locked in. We've been preparing for the moment. Of course, um, we got a lot of belief in like what we could do. And so, um, we, um, it's, it was at that point, it's just another match. You just got to go wrestle. And then, so, yeah, I think I can't, I think you can't try to like delineate from it too much. You just have to do what we've been training to do. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of going off like, you know, before match, I'm thinking technically, because that's that's what helps me stray away from these like paralyzing thoughts of like what happens if I lose this match? What are the, what are these people gonna think of me? What is, and I've got caught in that trap before. Yeah. So what was good about this finals match is like I knew that no one even thought I was gonna get there. So like I was already in a position where like I have nothing to lose. I I already 
you know, exceeded everybody else's expectations. So I'm not doing it for anybody else besides me and besides everybody, you know, the coaches and stuff. Um, so I was thinking just about the game plan. Like, how am I going to score? You know, how am I going to break, you know, through his head, hands, defense? Just kind of thinking about the things that we had talked about with the coaching staff before the match. Um, but, yeah, I had I had no, like, nerves. I had no, like, I wasn't, like, you know, stressed out or anything. I was like, let's just go, let's just go do this thing. If I go wrestle the way I know how to wrestle, I'm going to win. Yeah. That's kind of like the way yeah. I was thinking. And so you both finished the season, tough losses in the finals, mm-hmm. both All-Americans, both phenomenal seasons. Have you been able to reflect on just how special the season you had was? It's kind of funny because um, going out, like, even though we, like, reached the finals and, like, we wanted to, we wanted to win. Like, yeah. it's not <laughs> like we were happy with uh, just like, getting there, even though, like, looking back on it, it was a great, um, great achievement and, like, something good for the program and, like, tr- uh, shows us trending up. But, um, yeah, it's always, lo- like, I, I, I still, like, look back to the match and, like, think, like, okay, what could I have done here? Because, like, it's always tough. Like, you have to, if you take a loss, you got to learn from it. And yeah. so, um, but I got a lot of belief in us. Like I know what we can do and, um, I'm excited to come back next year cause we've got another year. And, um, so I'm just like, we know the bar has been set at this point. And so it's just kind of like, all right, we, we know what that stage is like. And, um, we know what it's like to be in that moment. And so we're, we gotta, we gotta run it back. We want more, like we're not satisfied. Yeah. Um, I haven't been able to go back and watch my match yet. Uh, I'm really bad at watching matches that I lose. I, I eventually will. Uh, I just still kind of a little, little, you know, will sting a little bit. But, um, I think exactly like Quincy said, like I learned so much from this. I, I know for a fact we both did. Um, even just like in preparation for next year, like when we get back there, we're going to, we're going to be veterans to that, that situation. We're going to know exactly what to expect. We're going to know exactly how to like prepare, for that finals match because I don't think either of us really knew or understood like mm-hmm. what what the process was like yeah. what it was going to look like to be a national final so um that being said like I mean we got one more year you know we're going to have fun with it mm-hmm. you know we're going to be enjoying every second because this is probably our last time competing yeah uh you know we came here so that we could get out of the sport of wrestling you know afterwards yeah. so um but again it's given us so much and uh I think we have so much fun winning together mm-hmm. and competing and doing all the things that we do uh, so we're just gonna enjoy it yeah that's right well, and y'all are, y'all are really good at this because throughout this whole podcast you've many times answered the follow-up question that i was going to ask because <laughs> my last question is going to be what's your mentality going into the last season but you both just answered that so perfectly so <laughs> i think that is a good place we again we've done 50 minutes it always flies by and i think with that we can finally transition into the first segment of the show which is the music identity segment honestly david that's the name that we're going with music identity segment because all since i I, since we started we've been trying to find like a catchy name for it and we haven't been able to come up with anything so now it's it's the music identity segment so as always i ask the guests to come up with five songs to describe who they are as a person um and i always leave it open to interpretation that's literally the only instruction i give everyone takes it in their own unique way which i always like seeing how people answer it so the floor the floor is yours who who wants to go first you want it (laughs) all right i gotta pull up my little list i wrote it up before i came all right, do you, do we are we just listening out the songs or do we have to like you, you the say the it? song and then why why you chose it? Yeah. Okay, okay, uh, yeah. So in no particular order, I got at least the M by Gucci Mane, um, and we've been we've been rocking with that song a lot this year, honestly, in the auction, the practice room, um, and I just I like the energy from the song because I feel like it's like keep good company around you. Um, um, it's got a good it's got a good bounce to it, and I think it's just, it's pretty like it's pretty like 
feel good, like motivates me, gets me ready to go. And so that's one of them. Um, by Any Means by G Herbo. Good song. Um, <laughs> that one just gets me in the zone. Got 21 on it too. And yes. so um, it means like I'm going to go get it by whatever it takes. And so, um, and then I got Gorgeous by Kanye West just because phenomenal album one of the My greatest albums gorgeous, of all time yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gorgeous yeah, yeah big, big Kanye fan growing up and so I had to throw that one in there and then I got Lost by Frank Ocean it could really be any Frank Ocean song yeah. just because that means to go um, <laughs> yeah um, and then I got Know Yourself by Drake because um, it's a banger and um, you gotta know yourself that's what's up solid yes, solid list Pat how, how you gonna top that I, I can't <laughs> he's got way better taste than um, my first one, I think, it was my walkout song for the for the national finals. But it's just something that uh, kind of my whole family like resonates with. It's Glory Days. I mean, it just very fitting. You don't even have to explain. Yeah, it. Yeah, we we, we I, get I, it. They, that's, yeah, that's, you know, don't, don't need to explain that one. Um, second one is it's a song called "Take the Money and Run" by the Steve Miller Band. Okay, it's like a rock rock music song, but it's just one that especially when I was going to like, you know, youth practices and stuff. My dad had the CD in the car. I just would listen to the album. Just brings back a lot of memories for me. Um, you know, the good times, the bad times, yeah. all that stuff. Um, song called Too Blessed. It's just like, I don't know, it makes me feel like, you know, it gets me in a good kind of vibe. It's like very, you know, uplifting song, but it's also like I, I do recognize like how blessed I am like all the time. I think about it like every day, you know what I mean? Um, can't leave without it. Just a great song. Yeah. I just, I just love Twenty One and and Gunna and Baby. It's just an amazing song. And then Pop Smoke. I love Pop Smoke. So the song Gangsters. Um, you know him and uh, Young Dolph were people like rappers that I was on like right before they they passed, passed away. away. Yeah. And it's it's like crazy to me. Like I think you know Quincy knows how much I played Young Dolph in the room. Like he really like. It's emotional for me, man. Like thinking about these people that are like on the cusp of greatness and like on the way up, and then just they just like, taken away too get soon. Taken away yeah, way too soon. So, um, yeah, I was gonna put a Young Dolph song in there too, but uh, we'll shout him out right yeah, now. Shout, yeah, <laughs> shout, yeah, shout out Young Dolph, and that both both phenomenal lists. Again, no comparison necessary. I've and I like these because out of everyone that I've done, there's never been a time where I've known every single song, so that I could go back and be put onto new music, which is, again, partly the reason that I do this segment. Mm -hmm. Selfishly, I get to be put onto new songs, and then I also get to know a little bit more about each of the guests. Hey, I don't know if you prepared any, but you got five songs for us. I, oh. I, I actually have, I've, and I've thought about when I should do my own five songs, because yeah. I've never, I've asked guests this for the past like 10, 12 episodes, and I've never given my list, right. so I don't have any right now, but I think eventually, I don't know when the final official episode of this season will be oh, but I think season on the finale season finale I might have yeah. to there's oh actually I like that I, honestly by the time that this drops I'm gonna have announced it and so there's actually a special episode that I recorded this past week with Governor Murphy oh wow of New Jersey no way yes way this Man, is, you see he changed the official bird yeah and so for that episode i might do a little clip at the end where i do my five additional songs but i'm going to start the promo for that next monday and this episode isn't going to come out to the monday after so awesome. you got you guys are the first person the first people to be let in on that secret hey. <laughs> but yeah i will i'll get that those those lists of five songs out eventually um and then the last segment of the show the longest reoccurring show or longest recurring segment of the show, Tiger Confessions segment. I go on Tiger Confessions, find questions that people ask or just comments, and then read them out to my guests, have my guests re react first, and then I react. 
So the first one, it says, and this was an interesting question that I was thinking about my answer to also. It says, what does it mean to be a Princetonian for you? Do you meet the criteria? If not, do you feel out of place at Princeton? Very curious to hear answers. And this is an interesting question. Um, I think my definition of like what it means to be a Princetonian has definitely evolved over my time here. Um, I think when I first got here, I definitely had a lot of like the imposter syndrome, like what am I doing here? Um, but just like getting to know like more the more people at Princeton that the, in the time that I've been here, I feel like everyone. And I was talking about this with uh, Muhammad, my friend Muhammad, the other day. Um, everyone kind of like has something special about them that like everyone like who is, is at Princeton like deserves to be at Princeton. Um, they got they got something about them that um, like if you get to know like more about them, then you kind of really kind of like see it come out of them. And so I think people contribute to Princeton in a lot of ways. Um, there's not any one way to be like a Princeton student. Um, people excel in a lot of different areas and it doesn't even have to be like through like your school. It could be like something you're doing outside of Princeton. But I think everyone is just kind of like um, I think the school models what in the service of humanity. Yeah. Um, and so I think everyone kind of like is doing something that like is contributing to the greater Princeton community in some type of way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I can resonate with Q's, uh, answer in a lot of ways. Like I felt like an imposter when I was like a freshman and kind of just getting started here, like, you know, struggling through classes, freshman SEMs, like writing SEM, all that stuff. Um, just being like, dang, like, do I like really belong here? You know, like what am I doing here? I think as you kind of are on campus more and, you know, the more people you meet and the more experiences you you have here, um, you realize that, like, being a Princetonian to you is completely, you know, individualized. Like, it it, it is, like, there's no one right way to be a Princeton student. Uh, I think it's just doing the best you can. Mm. And and I think um, the people that succeed here, because like Quincy said, like, everybody here is amazing. Like, they are the best of the best in some way shape or form like they are like studs you know what i mean like amazing so like the people i think that thrive here the best are the ones that have like no ego and the ones that like just work really hard and like don't let anybody know about it and then because people recognize that like people like see like oh like this person's like one of the hardest working people like like here but like no one knows about it no one sees it no one sees that work that they're doing um so I don't know, I think I, I know a lot of people that I could be like, oh, like, this person doesn't get recognized for anything, but they do so much yeah. here. Uh, there's so many people like that, which it makes it make sense that, like, this is the best school in the country. Like, there's yeah. so many, such a high volume of just crazy people here. Yeah, and I love that you both mentioned imposter syndrome because that's something that I've spoken on this ep- on this podcast. I've spoken about on this podcast multiple times because freshman year was so rough for me. Because I started off pre-med engineer and was in so many different STEM classes where I felt like the single dumbest person on this campus. I was like, how did the admissions office officers let yeah. me <laughs> into, let me in here? And then it didn't take until like halfway through sophomore year that I was finally like, okay, I, I belong here. Not only do I belong here, but I can thrive here. Mm-hmm. And it's just interesting to think that probably most Princeton students go through that at some point and none of us really acknowledge that about each other mm-hmm. where it's like 
who I, I want to meet the person who stepped on his canvas and was like, yeah, I should yeah. be here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like if and if that person even exists at all. Yeah. But, but yeah, just yeah. to to echo a lot of what you both just said, I don't think there is one specific way to be a Princetonian. I, to me, what it means to be a Princetonian is to be just passionate about whatever it is that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I think we see that from all our peers, whether it's through athletics, through academics, through performance, through just whatever it is that you're doing. That I think is a special thing about Princeton to me is that every single person you meet, there's something that they do that they are incredibly passionate about and they are incredibly good at. And I just love to appreciate other people's greatness. Like I have a friend who, Jared Jared Harbour, shout out to him. He has his uh, thesis show tonight. It's the last show and I've heard such great things about it. Something that he's been putting effort in for months. You guys on, on in wrestling have a lot of good friends on the women's basketball team. I just love to see everyone thrive at what mm -hmm. they're good at. And this this past few months especially has just been great to see, just to see people thrive. Absolutely. So to, to me, to be a Princetonian means to be passionate about something and to just put your all into it and then Again, you, you just see how things turn out. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And then a second one, and there's, there's, a, there's a theme on this show where there's always a lot of like friendship problems <laughs> in, in, the, in, uh, in Tiger Confessions. And so this one is more about friendship troubles. And it says, is there a way for a friend to grow apart from you where it doesn't really hurt or feel like you're being disrespected? Wow. I think so. I think, uh, <clears throat> you know, from experience, right, people change, I think, right, people, like, develop, and as they, like, get influenced by whatever they get influenced by, like, you might not necessarily, like, find yourself aligned with what they now believe in, although, like, maybe you were once kind of in line with what their beliefs were, with their morals, their ethical values, and stuff like that, like, those can change, and I think, um, you know, strong people are people that, like, can recognize, hey, like, I don't agree with this anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's going to make it feel a lot less like you're, you know, you're, you're, you're letting them take their path and you're not like, it's not, like, you know, a direct reason against you that you guys are not, you know, necessarily in the best of terms. And now it's just kind of, you guys are taking different paths. Yeah. And I think it takes a strong person to like recognize that and like let that happen as opposed to being like, oh, like, but this person's my friend. So like, let me be influenced, even if it's negatively by them because they're my friend and like just go along with what they want to do yeah um so i think especially in college like you see a lot of people change in that way and as they mature kind of going in a separate path and um you know be, being being strong in yourself i think makes it less like a fight i guess yeah yeah i'd say there's definitely some friendships that aren't meant to last forever but they all serve their purpose like you can enjoy like a certain time period with a person and like have really special experiences with them but um you might grow out of it and like not have those same experiences to relate to that doesn't really like bind you together anymore that where you don't need to like be like talking as much um but you're still it doesn't mean like you're not on good terms like you just don't really need to um, be as interactive with them anymore. And so I think definitely you can grow out of friendships, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like they can serve you in that moment and you can always cherish those moments, like looking back on it, even if you aren't like creating new moments. And so I think definitely that's something that like more people should be like willing to do, even though it's like hard to let go of some friendships. But um, if they're not really, they don't have to be like serving you, I'd say, but if, if, if it's like, if it's kind of like it has to be forced, then I'd say like you should be like open to like maybe not trying to force it as much and just appreciating like what you had. Yeah. And I agree with a lot of the stuff that you both just said. Um, I think about I think about this all the time and how and I've spoken about this, I feel like on the podcast before, how 
you come in as a freshman and you kind of cast your net as wide as possible. Just again, your college, you want to meet as many people as possible. And then I think end of freshman year, start of sophomore year is when a lot of friend groups will start to realign. And I think it happens very naturally. And I think back on my freshman year and there were some people that I was really close to back then that I'm not close with right now. And there was nothing disrespectful about mm -hmm. the way that we stopped being friends. There was nothing that hurt anybody's feelings. It was just natural natural progression as people started to grow into themselves and really figure out who who it is that they want to be. So yeah, I agree with what you guys just said. There's, there's obviously some people who are just like rude and they might be disrespectful mm -hmm. about stuff. But I think a lot of the times when friendships end, it is just a very natural thing because kind of like you said, some friendships aren't meant to last forever. They run their course, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah, Everyone's yeah. allowed to grow and change, and again, as long as no one's being disrespectful in any way, like that's that's just a part of life. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. But with that, we've done an hour and three minutes. Oh, this wow. has been a phenomenal episode. Thank you both. What an honor. For ha Appreciate you having Honestly, us on. This is awesome. Thank you. Oh, thank I'm so happy to be here. Thank, thank you for coming on. Do you both have any final words for the people? Um, we just want to give all my fellow Princetonians some love right now as we're like thesis JP stuff and yeah. we're getting towards the end of the year. Like it's been a, it's been a crazy year, but we're doing it y'all. So shout we're out, shout out to the gang. Couple more weeks. Yeah. Couple more weeks. We're <laughs> almost there. But yeah, this again, one of my favorite episodes that I've done. Appreciate you both for coming on. Um, this has been another episode of Go With The Flow. Thank you for listening.